you so much for joining us on Let the Healing Begin podcast. I'm your host, Asia. And today we have Steve Gamlin with us. How are you doing, Steve? Doing excellent. Thank you, Asia. Very happy to be here on the show. Thank you so much for carving out time in your schedule. My pleasure. Um, so let's start with whereabouts are you from? Uh, I live in a little town in the woods in southern New Hampshire on a dead-end street off another dead-end street. But we have a lot of privacy and really good Wi-Fi. So I'm happy here. <laughs> I like it. That's good. So let's go back to your childhood. Tell me what was that like? I had a really good childhood. Um, you know, upper middle class upbringing was, um, you know, good grades in school and everything went really well. Played Little League, did everything everybody else did. And when I was 11, I had four goals. Wanted to be a radio DJ, a stand-up comedian, an author of my own books, and a teacher of people. But I didn't want to be in a classroom because I thought teaching kids has got to be just, I mean, I was a kid and sometimes we were a nightmare for our teachers. So I just wanted to be a teacher of people. I didn't know what it meant yet, but wanted to inspire people. Okay. So did you have mom and dad? I did. Yes. Okay. My parents stayed married until I was about 22 years old. They got divorced then. So, you know, not as bad as what a lot of kids have to deal with, especially when they're younger and they take on some of the self-imposed blame for that. So by then, hey, I was an adult and we just all still got along as best we could. Okay. You have brothers and sisters? I have one sister who's about 16 months younger than I am, and we've been super close my entire life. Okay. Um, now, let me ask you this. Like, as far as like when your parents were divorced, did that take a, a heavy toll on you and your sister? You know, the toughest part of it was it was at the time of my life where I was supposed to be going off on my own, you know, being an adult and starting a career and graduating college and all of that. And all of a sudden, they both needed me more than ever and of course there was a you know a bitterness about serious relationships and marriage at that point so i kind of got tainted a little while with that you know it, it wasn't a ton of fighting back and forth but there was a lot of negative energy around especially around relationships like if i got into a relationship at the time there they are both you know cautioning me on the dangers of relationships because yeah. they didn't work so that yeah. pressure was there and i would say it probably, as far as a maturity and emotional maturity in relationships, that one probably impacted me for quite a while. I think I dragged some baggage around from that. Yeah. Um, were you angry at all? I was frustrated. I was a little mad here and there. Yeah. With some of the situations of things that did happen that, you know, I, I wanted to just bust out and say, you know, you could have just announced you were leaving. <laughs> yeah. instead of all the other stuff that dragged on a little bit of drama in all that you know it could have been a little more cut and dry and a lot less gray area for yeah. a while i kind of wish it had happened that way yeah have you and your sister ever talked about um the whole separation between you guys a little bit you know we talked about it for a little bit um you know there there wasn't really too much that we felt had anything to do with us it was more yeah. of just there's a lack of communication between mom and dad they grew apart they made decisions and we were just kind of left hanging out in the rubble you know of our of our home and it it actually brought us closer together because you know the family we'd grown up with kind of splintered apart and we did our best to not take sides mm -hmm. but you know what it's like i mean you you kind of if you're living with one, the other one kind of gets a little hurt sometimes. And every once in a while out of frustration, you'd hear a little bit about it. 
but absolutely we'll defuse as much as we could. Absolutely. Um, so when you got out of high school, what did you do? I uh, went right to college and still had no idea what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. You know, it's, I, I had, of course, wanted to be in radio, but parenting and reality step in and, you know, get a good job with a good company, with good benefits, put your head down for about 45 years and retire with a good pension, which my sister has the corporate mindset and I okay. never did. Yeah. So I didn't apply myself much in college. Uh, I paid off all my loans. Okay. But I graduated by 62 one thousandths of a point, which is what my dad used to joke during my stand-up comedy years, that he was so proud his son graduated summa come this close. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. At the end of college, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I bummed around for another couple of years until I finally figured it out and got into yeah. radio. And that's completely okay. So many people feel rushed, um, you know, like in college, or I hear a lot of people say, oh, by the time I'm 30, and I'm like, life doesn't even really start getting good until you're 30, you know? Yeah. Like, you, you don't know a whole lot, like in your 20s. Um, so what'd you get, what'd you graduate with? Like, what type of degree? I got a Bachelor of Arts in Business. Okay. And, you know, people say, oh, Steve, that's great. You know, you own two businesses. And I said, yeah, what I learned in college, nothing to do with being an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, but hey, I had it, I went, I did it, I completed it, I paid off my loans, I'm satisfied with it. Because even if I could have done differently, I would never go back and change a thing about my life. Because at all, now at age 55, I'm exactly where I am because of everything I experienced. So I, I don't regret it now. They're paid off, I'm good. And that's amazing. And you know what, a lot of people, they, um, they want, even myself, like I have to stop myself from wanting things to happen right now. And I'm like, you know, things I was just telling myself a moment ago, like process, process and progress. You know, you have to um, be willing to go through the progress. I mean, through the process of the way, you know, life unfolds and some things don't unfold like in a matter of days, weeks, months, even five years, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's about patience. So but those are still major accomplishments. I'm very happy for you. Yeah. Oh, I've had a ball. I really have. I mean, now this is the happiest version of me there's ever been. I mean, my, I, I, one of my early stage stories as a speaker was called some days your Phoenix rides a pogo stick. And mm -hmm. Every time my life fell back into the fire and the ashes or whether it was through my, my choice or my fault or whatever, every time I would rise back up, people would say, Steve, you're like that majestic Phoenix, you know, rising and like in the movies, cause Hollywood has wrecked it. The angels sing and the clouds part, the sun comes out and the hero flies off to victory. And I go, well, hang on. My Phoenix rides a pogo stick. Yeah. Something will eventually happen that's going to knock me back down a little bit. And while mm -hmm. I'm there, my tail feathers will burn off. But every time I bounce back, I just have a goal to bounce higher and tail feathers grow back. And when they do, they're generally the colors are brighter and they're stronger because of oh. what you learn. So. It doesn't bother me anymore when the tough times come because I figured it's not just what I get out of life, it's who I become. And some of those times have been the greatest learning experiences and you know, solidified really who I am and my core values so that I always stay true to those no matter how high I fly or how hard I fall. And I've experienced both. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, like you said, while we're in the fire, it really shows us who we truly are. Um, a lot of times, like I've been through, like in uh, the middle of a fire or been in the middle of a tough time and I come out and I'm like, I didn't know I was that strong, you know? 
And, you know, if we're always comfortable, it's like, what are we ever going to learn if we're always comfortable? We have to actually be put to the test on things for us to accelerate, you know, and to make it to that next level, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I've always had the the right people, you know, depending on what you believe in, guardian angels or just you know, whatever. I, I choose to call them guardian angels. Come into my life at the lowest points and they'll just ask me a question and I'll answer it. And all of a sudden there's a breakthrough in my life. You know, yeah. I can sit here and stare at what I wanted to do with my life and create a million excuses as to maybe why I shouldn't go after it. But when somebody else comes over and asks, Hey, have you ever thought of doing this? I think you'd be great at it. Mm-hmm. It's happened twice. That's how I got into radio. And that's how after I blew up my radio career, my first marriage and any shred of financial stability at age 35, another person asked after I shared a story, it was a brand new life coach. And he said, Hey, how was your week? And the previous day I had spent $3 on a bucket of golf balls at a driving range, just getting out frustration under power lines, barefoot in the wet grass and a thunderstorm daring the lightning to hit me. It was a very low point. When he said, how was your week? I told the story of that hour. I made it as funny as I could make it. It was pathetic and self-deprecating, but it was really funny. And when he stopped laughing, he asked, have you ever thought of being a motivational speaker or a stand-up comedian? He didn't know those were two of my four goals when I was 11 years old. And all of a sudden, boom, (laughs) I said, yeah, but I have no idea how to pursue it. And on his desk was a brochure for a local community college. Two weeks later, they had a class called Intro to Stand-Up Comedy. And he said, you won't believe this. It's in my junk mail on my desk. Will you go? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Toastmasters? Yeah. You should go there too. <laughs> so I did. Wow. The right people That's... just keep showing up. And and look at you and I connecting. Now there's someone <laughs> out there who might be in a low point right now in the fire. Yeah. Who's going to say, oh my gosh, Asia and Steve, it felt like they were talking to me. So yeah. hmm, what could I do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, when you said, you know, you keep getting knocked down, but you keep climbing. So if there's a listener right now that may be in the midst of that, trying to get back up, you know, phase or season in their life, what would you say to that person? Find something to be grateful for every single day. And it's going to be really tough some days. But think of a moment, a conversation, a word, you know, if nothing else today impacted you in a positive way, but you're hearing this conversation and it does just say, Hey, I listened to this podcast with Asia and this guy, Steve, and maybe smile, maybe laugh, maybe think it, maybe believe in myself and maybe look in the mirror and actually not hate the person I saw. Even in the toughest days, like look at 2020, 2021, 2022 with the pandemic and everything going on and politics and all the chaos and drama. And so many people broad brush those years. Oh, that was terrible. Dumpster fire one, two, and three in 3D. I wrote down an average of about 880 moments I was grateful for in each of those years. Because I do it every morning when I get to my desk upstairs. I get a journal and I just write down date and I write good stuff. And I write one, two, three. And in less than a line each, I'll write my three favorite moments from the previous day as emotionally connected and cool or funny or whatever as possible so that a year from now I can open it up, look at it, and probably have a pretty good idea of what I was talking about that day. So if you're really low, start there. 
And you know what? I talked so much of like on the podcast and also like with clients about journaling, like the importance of journaling. Even if you don't want to journal, like just putting stuff on paper yeah. and then like going back to look at it at a later date. You know what I'm saying? Because oftentimes like we'll make so much progress and we'll progress so much and won't even realize how, how like how many steps we've actually taken. It can feel like things are going slow, but it, I look at my journals from six months ago and I'm like, wow, you know, yeah. Wow. And, you know, and I write, I, I try to, I sit down every night and I thank God. Well, all throughout my day, really, um, just for the small things, you know, thank God I'm alive even to experience a bad day, you know, like, mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, and just always trying to be, just always try to have like gratitude as the center of my life, you know, outside of God, of course, um, because it, it just makes you fall in love with those small, rich, but most important moments, you know? Yeah. And, and so many people, they, I'll ask them, what are you grateful for today? Oh, uh, my, my job, my home, and my family. Mm -hmm. Great, those are awesome. And maybe I'll see them two or three weeks later, I'll say, what are you grateful for today? And they go, uh, my job, my home, and my family. Like, yeah. okay, notice how you said it today versus <laughs> three weeks ago. Yeah. That's, that's why I go for the little minute things, the, the things that are unique to that day. Mm -hmm. Because when, you, when you're stacking them up, so I get as I get as emotionally charged from those little things as I do about the big things. And because there's always new little things every day. Yeah. During a podcast about six months ago, I happened to have one of my old journals here in the studio. I was doing something recording project mm -hmm. with it. And I mentioned that and I said, Oh, I've got one of my journals here. And the podcast host said, open it up and tell me what resonates for you. And I started laughing. It was from seven years ago wow. when my dad was still alive. We took his old, uninspected, unregistered, uninsured plow truck from his home to his mechanic at mm -hmm. night. And then the next day after it was fixed, had to sneak it back home. Well, I got, my dad was behind me because I didn't want to get pulled over. I got mm -hmm. to the first rotary and there was a cop at the next on-ramp. Now I have the right of way, but I waved to him, go ahead, sir. And he goes, hey, thank you, buddy. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> Go that way, and I'm going to sneak around this way. So all I wrote in the journal was, got Nellie home. Nellie was the plot drop. Got <laughs> Nellie home, avoided the cop. And seven years later, bam, yeah. the emotion was right there. I'm smiling right now talking about it. Yeah. And, and my dad's been gone for five years, and this was probably a couple of years prior to that. Mm -hmm. It's a moment I was grateful for that when I'm 90, I hope to still remember mm -hmm. with as much joy. Yeah, absolutely. That's a blessing. That was a blessing. Seriously, yeah. it's the small oh, big time. I thought, oh my gosh, here I am. <laughs> Bad enough, it leaves a trail of rust. The cops could have found us anyway, but yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to that day that you uh, were in the middle of that golf field. Um, what was the driving? What? What? I know you said you were just like tired. What was going on in your life at that time that made you feel that way? Like you were just over it. Uh, not a lot was going on at the time. I walked away from a very successful 10 year radio career because I heard a rumor that the owner was going through a divorce and might have to sell the stations. Now, twice prior to that in my career, stations have been sold. We all got fired immediately. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I can't take this again. So without putting a lot of thought into it, I quit my radio career. And all I had was a little weekend DJ business that maybe was making 12,000 a year. And my first marriage fell apart. And at age 35, about $62,000 in debt because I wasn't paying attention and had to move back home. So basically, 
if you look back in my journals at the time, I referred to myself as Hurricane Knucklehead Category 5. Uh, wow. Brutal self-talk. No self-worth, no self-confidence. I had taken my entire identity and flushed it down the toilet and was just, just breathing. That was about it. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Very self-deprecating. Just beat myself up verbally every day to myself and about myself. And it was a hot and humid afternoon in August of 03. And I had $3 in my pocket and drove past the place and said, well, let's just go take out some frustrations on some golf balls. And I, I can't golf like straight, but I can hit real hard. <laughs> I can yeah. I can drive over 200 yards pretty easy. It's just not gonna go straight. So I went to the farthest tee box and I just, just swinging hard and every ball I hit, there was something I was mad at, usually myself. Wow. Then the thunderstorm came and I just, just laughingly, sarcastically held the club up in the air and said, go ahead, I dare you. <laughs> Everybody else ran away from the storm. I hit my bucket in the buckets of two other guys who ran away and never came back. And when I got to my car, when I was all done, the rain stopped and the sun came out and I just started laughing. I thought that was very well played by God. Yeah. And the next day was that call where... My coach, Coach Dan, asked if I ever thought of being a motivational speaker or stand-up comedian, and all the excuses fell to the wayside. There was still self-doubt, not a lot of confidence, mm -hmm. but all of a sudden it was like a, a little door opened up, and I thought, well, I'll get my foot in there and see what happens. I did stand-up for yeah. seven years, been speaking for uh, a little over 19 years. Wow, that's amazing. So after you decided like to take that first step, what, I mean, well, like, what was the first step that you took? Did you enroll in the, the schooling or what was it? How did you go about accomplishing that? Yeah, I went to the intro to stand-up comedy class, which was about eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, there was a big showcase that all of us had to get up and perform five minutes of comedy. And, and even in the first class, I was so hooked. I loved it. I wasn't great at it. Yeah. But I was so excited. And then when I went to Toastmasters, which is where people go to develop their storytelling, their their body language, their confidence. My first meeting there, I loved it. It was like it had been waiting there for me mm. to just get me to believe in myself a little more and at least do something I loved that I got better at. And I still love it today. I, I love telling stories. I love being on stage. I love connecting with people. I love leaving a trail of plus signs behind me wherever I go, whether it's a podcast or on stage or on camera, walking down the street or uh, in the Captain Crunch aisle at the grocery store, making people laugh. You know, I've pretty much everywhere has all yeah. been impacted by having the confidence to share my real self. Absolutely. And you know what, that, that, the guy just brought something back to my uh, my remembrance. I was listening to this song, and it's like Christian rap. I only listen to Christian music now, right? I only listen to gospel. And um, this lady made this song about, like, who would have thought I would be successful being myself? Like, you know, and that's so true. Um, you know how God puts different gifts and talents and, and things like that inside of each one of us and it's literally a lane for you a lane for me, like a lane for every single person for just the gifts that he has given us for free you know yeah. and that's amazing um so let me ask you this if we have another listener that is just cannot figure out what it is that they you know what their purpose is or what it is that they're supposed to be operating in what would you say to that person 
If you have someone in your life, whether it's a family member or a friend or a coworker, someone whom you know, like, and trust, now it's important, know, like, and trust, ask them if you can just have a quiet moment with them. And if they say yes, just say, look, I'm going to be very authentic and vulnerable with you now. I'm struggling a bit. Why are we still friends? Why do you care about me? What have you ever seen me do that you feel added value for you? And you might actually be very surprised. At what people see. At what people see and what they say and how they feel because we're just us. I mean, we go through every day and if we've got all these dark clouds hanging over us, we do not see the sun breaking through. These other people may only see sunshine and not the clouds. And the thing to do is to remember, trust what they say, because other people are going to see more good in us, I think, than a lot of us are willing to see. Because too many people think, oh, if they say, well, I'm, yeah, I'm really good at this, that that's ego or that's, you know, that's prideful and that it's a bad thing. So you get a lot of people playing real small in life, which is sad because they're dimming their light because of how they think other people are going to perceive the light. And I did that for years, which is pronounced decades, by the way. Really? Yeah, and oh you yeah. know what? Oh, you that was so good what you just said. Like a lot of people, like you said, dim their lights when you're supposed to let your light shine, you know? And and not everybody is going to agree with it. Some people might feel like, you know, that you come off cocky or, you know, overly confident. But it's not even about that. It's about being confident and walking in what it is that, you know, that you're supposed to walk in. Some people are intimidated by that because they cannot do that within themselves. And so, you know, that it may come off as, you know, it's intimidating to someone who can't grasp that, you know. Um, one thing that my mom would always say is no matter how much good or no matter how much bad that you do, somebody's always going to have something to say. Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I've had I've had my people out there. But the funniest part of it is, especially in social media, once in a while, somebody will fire off a comment and it'll be rude and it'll be way off the mark from what I'm really all about. Mm -hmm. before I can say anything, one of my friends, one of my clients, one of the people who likes to follow and read whatever I do or create on there, they come out with the arrows and the rocks and they start <laughs> smacking this person. And I just sit back and I'm like, okay, guys, all right, he's had enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they just pile on, you know, if somebody says, oh, you're arrogant or whatever. You know, my favorite thing that people say is you don't know, Steve, you know, you, Maybe you're having a day that you misread what he said, but there's not a malicious bone in his body or in his heart or in his brain. Or, you know, I do my best to be a giver and, and not go down those dark roads. I want to be an encourager for people. And you got to be having a really tough time if you misconstrue something I say as bad or arrogant. Um, it, there's never that intention. Um, in, in person, or in public or online. I, I just do my best to be a ray of light every day. And not everybody's ready to receive it or sees it in the right light. I can't help how you react and respond. All I know is I live by four core values. Build the best relationships, cultivate kindness with every conversation, help people create a vivid vision for their day and be fun as heck to be to work with or be around. That's how I live my life every day. And there's just no room for bitterness or evil or jealousy or pettiness in there as far as what I put out into the world. I just want to leave as many situations as I can better than I find them. That's amazing.
And you know what? Some people, like you said, are not ready to receive, like, I guess what they're not used to. Um, some people, like, if they're not used to love and stuff, they don't know how to, you know, really handle that. Some people are uh, will reject that um, because that's not what they're used to receiving. Yeah. Oh, very true. And I always feel so bad when I see people, you know, if I offer a bit of love or something or kindness and I see people shrink back from it, I just always feel so bad. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, who did this to you? Who, who caused you to feel that way? And it's just really bad. You know, it's, it's tough when you see people who've been damaged by past relationships and what happens to them. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, I guess it, it takes like, a, I guess a person has to be like intentionally wanting to, you know, change the narrative, you know, um, because I mean, it was tough for me to like um, just the transition of everything and being open to receive, you know, sometimes we're so used to giving, giving, giving um, that it can be tough to receive, you know, mm -hmm. but, and then, you know, another thing is like my heart goes out to those people that are so used to being hurt. Like even when you try to come in and do good in their lives, they're expe so expectant of negative, you know, so, you know, they kind of have that wall up. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I was somebody who in my mentors and my coaches, they hammered on me for years. I did not like to receive. Really? Oh, I did not think I was worthy of it. I would give, give, give. I said yes to everything. I helped as many people as I could. And anytime somebody wanted to do something nice for me, I rebuffed it until yeah. I had two of my mentors who were like brothers to me, pretty much stage an intervention on me and go, all right, look, how do you feel? And they, they totally came around the back way and they, they got me. I said, how's it feel when you do good for people? I said, oh, it feels great. How do you feel when you do your acts of kindness? Awesome. How do you feel when you help a little old lady at the grocery store get something off the top shelf for her and you make her laugh? I go, it feels great. And they go, look, we're trying to do that for you. Why are you robbing us of all that joy that you say you feel about it? You talk about it, you give the, you live the example, but you won't, you won't let anybody do it for you. I'm like, oh, you're right. Yeah. So we're going to teach you two words when people do something nice for you or pay a compliment. These are the only two words we ever want to hear come out of your mouth. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. They said, here's the two words. Thank you. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let the rest of the garbage come out that you're not worth it, whatever. Just say, thank you. Yeah. And tell you what, that changed my life because it, it allowed so much in mm -hmm. that it made me want to do even more, which had triggered more to come in and, that yeah. was that was a good intervention, I'll say. Because my brother, my brothers Chris and Lonnie, my my bros, did that. That's amazing. So let me ask you this: Once you finished the, you said the class was eight weeks, right? Mm -hmm. So once you finished the eight week class, how, what did you go to from there? As many open mic stand up comedy shows as I could, and I was gone sometimes two three nights a week. I would drive, some nights, an hour or more each way to be able to do five minutes of comedy on stage for free. I was so addicted yeah. to being on stage, creating laughter, coming up with ideas, making friends with some of the other comedians who, and I've been out of comedy for 12 years. Some of them are still my dearest, closest friends. Mm -hmm. 
in, at a time mm-hmm. that was really dark, it brought some light because it allowed me to not only laugh, but bring laughter to other people who might be going through some stuff. Because that's why we go to comedy. We, our lives get tough. We want to go laugh a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I got to be one of the people who delivered that and caused it to happen. And I loved that responsibility. Absolutely. And you know what? So like, I talk a lot about like, helping other people in the same areas where we hurt at, right? Or giving back to others because it, it brings on a sense of healing. Can you give us a breakdown on how that helped you at that time? Yeah, in the mid to late early 2000s, uh, my mom shared an article with me and she said, hey, there's this place called Liberty House in, in the town where we grew up, a mile or so from the house I grew up in. And she said, they help homeless and in need veterans. Hey, remember when you, you know, you kids were small and I talked about wanting to do that someday? Well, these guys are doing it. Maybe we should see if they need anything. And all of a sudden this, this light went on and we've been, my family and I, doing simple acts of kindness on a regular basis ever since. As a family, as individuals, bringing in some other people. We launched our own 501c3 because people wanted to give us money to donate and we couldn't ask for it prior. So we just made kindness a part of every single day, looking for opportunities. And it's been so amazing. The purpose and in the bond of our family relationships is better than it's ever been because we're all part of, I called it beach bum philanthropy because at the time I had just learned how to surf. And when people say, what's your goal in life? I go, dude, I just want to be a beach bum. I want to be laid back and just, so we're just so laid back about giving, but we do it all the time. It's like these waves, you know, beach yeah. bum. There's, there's constant waves of kindness. I was at that place today, the place that helps the veterans with a bunch of canned goods and some dry goods they needed. And for about an hour and a half last night, I smoked and grilled 70 meatballs. Wow. And I'm, our driveway smelled amazing. And the neighborhood dogs, I think, sniffed our driveway for <laughs> hours afterward. <sighs> it felt so good to do that. Yeah. And when I walked in there today, one of the, the ladies in the front office looked at two of the gentlemen, formerly homeless veterans, who are, you know, residents now. And they, she goes, hey, this is that guy that smokes the meatballs. And one guy looks at me and goes, you're the reason I'm getting fat. <laughs> like, I said, man, it's just kindness. He goes, well, your kindness smells real good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to do more of that? Oh my gosh, it feels so good. And to just see people who've struggled a little bit, even in a moment or as a life, mm-hmm. to just leave a plus sign trailing behind you and I'll never run out because I own the factory Mm -hmm. of of wanting to do good. And I just come up with a reason every day or a way. And and many acts of kindness are free, by the way. So that takes all the people who go, well, someday when I have time and money, I'll do that. Nope. There's ways you can do it for free every single day. Just share a smile, hold the door, rescue a shopping cart, or pay someone a compliment. Mm-hmm. that's kindness absolutely you know and we need a whole lot more of that these days yeah. um just not only because like that's the right thing to do but it's so much going on in the world and so many people going through tough times and hard times and they don't feel like they have an outlet or an escape or you know a, a, a system of support or this that or the other you know we all need somebody um 
and, and then one thing like one quote that my mom used to say all the time was we all can't we can't always do life by ourselves you know mm-hmm. and some people are not equipped to go through the struggles like mentally emotionally um you know and some people are ready to just give up and a smile can change their whole day change their whole life around you know you never know what someone's going through yeah yeah one of my favorite places is the grocery store and you know it's funny people ask and i get i get asked again the other day well steve don't you ever have a bad day oh yeah i have plenty of them i get in the funk just like everybody else i get frustrated and they say well what do you do on those days how do you get out of your funk and i said i leave the house and i drive 15 minutes into town and i spend about 20 minutes doing as many acts of kindness as i can for free and i go to the grocery store every time i'll rescue a cart that may have been left out without complaining or calling people lazy don't get in a bad mood over it (laughs) go rescue it you're walking in anyway so why don't you grab a cart my record is six because i have long arms if i tried seven (laughs) someone's car is going to get dented because one's going to get away so i i rescue a cart or if i see a little old lady or maybe a mom or dad with kids that they don't want to leave the car to return it i'll just say excuse me would you like me to return that for you i've had the most amazing conversations with just these adorable people who were so appreciative for that little thing then i go inside i know some of the clerks so i'll shout over the deli counter hey there rockstar lou how you doing today i'm doing good i make my way through the store i got a buddy of mine who's who's on a healthy journey but every once in a while when he has a bad day he wants a candy bar so bad so i walk through the candy aisle i make sure there's nobody around I take pictures of me giving the finger to candy bars and I send them to him and he thinks they are hysterical. So I do that all the time too. So it's all these little ways that we can just leave. You know, if you see somebody who's maybe not as hype gifted as you are looking at a top shelf, just say, excuse me, is there something up there I could reach for you? Yeah. Cute little old lady say, you're, you're lucky to be tall. I'm like, feel the top of my head. There's some dents. Those weren't lucky days, <laughs> but I like being tall. Cause I got to help you. Yeah. God made me tall for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. That's amazing. So let me ask you about this 501 C three. Um, mm-hmm. is that something that you started with your mom or is that something that you started alone? Uh, my mom, myself, my sister, my wife, Tina, and my stepmom. Okay. All- Put it together we were the original board members of it and we just all wanted to be a part of this and and do it not just us but so many other people got so much joy out of it yeah and wanted to hand us money that my sister who i always joke and i don't mean it self-deprecating she got the brains i get the really cool job so yeah. she had the patience to go through all the paperwork and it's a lot Mm-hmm. to establish it so she's the brains behind it and i'm the personality the energy to drive kind of the face of it okay so we all play our role mom and stepmom they're known as the beach bum moms mm-hmm. and on a regular basis they will bake dozens of something and they'll show up at one of the homeless shelters at lunchtime and hand out desserts so we all stepped into our roles and and now we've got people who are sending us money i got an email today big Mm -hmm. corporation they have um friday jeans day during the Mm -hmm. month of september and they all have to pay a certain amount of money to be able to wear jeans i just found out today that all of the september money all of this month's money they're giving to us as a donation oh congratulations thank you i was 
I was blown away and as was everybody else in the Beach Bum family when I uh, wow. shared that. It's very humbling. It's We get emotional over that because yeah. we're having so much fun doing this that when other people want to be a part of it, it's it's an honor. Yeah. Even more than usual to let people know, hey, it's not just me. You know, I get thanked all the time. It's not just me. This is a bunch of beach bums but they all have a regular nine to five job so i'm the guy that just shows up all the time <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah absolutely that's amazing you know it's that's truly amazing um a lot of times like when we uh are doing good deeds some people feel like it goes unnoticed but it, it doesn't go unnoticed you know and even if it does like that's the the part about doing the good deed like do it from the like your heart you know I think it's oh, you'll amazing. never see me out there with the phone going, Hey everybody, I'm on TikTok. Look, you know, we try Absolutely. to use it in a way to educate people like, Hey, mm -hmm. here's an idea. And, and I see people putting the homeless right on camera and I see how uncomfortable they are. And I just feel so bad. You're crushing. It's so, it's so humiliating. You know, who wants yeah. to be, who wants to have a, a phone or a camera and, you know, in their face, you know, just to receive some help. Um, you know, they're already at a low point. Yeah. Um, you know, and who wants to be brought, who wants that to be broadcast? You know, that's not right. I, I just never understood that. That really hurts my feelings. And, you know, if you feel like you have to record it to do something for someone, then it's not coming from the right place, you know, um, because you're looking for attention or, you know, for someone to say, oh, good job. You know, when the ultimate centerpiece of it should be to help others, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. And there's a way to do it. You know, the way we choose to do is, hey, today I got to do this. And let me tell you how easy it is for, for you. Mm -hmm. um, January of 2019, and we live in New Hampshire, we had a blizzard that night. Mm -hmm. It was it was actually called a polar vortex. That's like a yeah. blizzard on steroids. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> And I walked down the driveway, just wearing my boots, my jeans and a, and a long sleeve shirt. And mm -hmm. the wind and the snow were just swirling. And I brought our trash cans down the driveway very carefully because we have a steep driveway. Yeah. And on the way back up, I don't know what made me think of them, but I just thought, oh, my gosh, there's a cluster of homeless people and some homeless veterans living in the woods down by the river a couple towns away. Wow. And I tapped my back pocket and my phone was in it. And I said, all right, I'm going live. Waved my arm to turn on the outside motion light. Mm -hmm. Put my phone up, did a Facebook live for two and a half minutes. Hey, everybody, Steve here from Beach Bomb Philanthropy. You know what? The weather right now is brutal, and I'm about to walk back into a nice, beautiful, warm home. But there's some people living outside right now, and there's nothing between them and the ground but maybe a little tarp or a little sleeping bag. So wherever you live tomorrow, would you just reach out in your community and ask a shelter or a church or food pantry, what can I do? I got $5, $10, $20. What can I do? Yeah. And I signed off and, and my, I, I hitched and I was about to start crying. I got real emotional Yeah. and I hit end and I walked in the house and one of my vision board coaching clients reached out and said, Steve, what happened to your video? What do you mean? Well, I was just going to share it with everybody and it's gone. And I wiped the slush off the phone. And I go, oh, that wasn't stop. That was delete. So I went back out in the storm, did it again. <laughs> it looked mm -hmm. like a drowned rat. <laughs> and I figured, well, at least this time I won't get emotional. Nope. I can tell you the exact breath that in between yeah. words where I just about lost it. Yeah. And in 11 days, 
it had over 9,000 views and a bunch of comments of people who said, Hey, you looked like crap, but oh, you know what? I brought some warm socks to a church the next day. Or I, I did, you yeah. know, people that because of that message did something. So I left the video up and I mean, I, I watch it every year when it pops back up as a memory and I go, oh my gosh, I look horrible. Good message. <laughs> <laughs> Good message. Wow. So let me ask you this. I know you said you got out of comedy about 12 years ago. What was the reason why you got out of that? Someone came up to me, a friend of mine, after a show, who knew me as a speaker and as a comedian. She, she was one of my speaking clients. And she said, Steve, I got a question. Now, you're not a dirty comic. You know, I did things that were adult, but not, I wasn't dirty. I didn't swear a lot. Mm -hmm. So I got a question, though. If the female CEO of a company that was interested in hiring you to come in to speak motivational for them saw you doing your comedy show, would she still hire you to speak? Mm. I said, you know what? Wow. Probably not. Because my closing bit was, it was called the Viagra song. It was a yeah. song parody of Queen's We Will Rock You. And it wasn't super dirty, but it was funny. But of course, it's adult in nature. Mm -hmm. And she asked that. And I thought, you know what? I bet that could potentially hurt my speaking. So I stopped doing comedy. But I took the approach and some clean material and the storytelling style in the energy into my speaking, which improved it. Mm -hmm. And it, it got me as a motivational humor speaker, which is mm -hmm. very attractive to people who are putting on all the events. You got to have that one funny guy in there somewhere. Yeah. So it, it turned out to be a really good decision to do that. Well, that's... And I got seven years in. That was great. I had a ball. Yeah. Bond. And you know what? Seven, God is God is something else because seven is the number of completion. So, I mean, you know, we, you went and did what you were supposed to do in that season. And the way that you have it set up now, like a, a, a comedy with a motivational speaking, that's so dynamic. I, like, you don't hear that every day. You don't hear that ever. You know, yeah. that's different. That's really nice. I like that. Yeah. I love it. it it's, you know, people ask, you know, Steve, you've been doing this so long. You don't ever get nervous, do you? I said, well, I only get nervous every time. For the first <laughs> 90 seconds, mm -hmm. I work so hard to get that first laugh. Yeah. And it's not scripted. You know, the first 90 seconds, normally not scripted. It may come from a conversation I had with someone in the hallway because I always take my name badge off. Okay. Unless my picture is on a sign, nobody knows I'm the speaker. Yeah. I just engage with people. I have fun and oh yeah, kick around ideas and look around the room or learn something interesting about the company if it's a specific company or the event or the association, whatever it is. Yeah. And I'll get up there and I'll just say, hey, boom, boom, boom. And one time I heard somebody whisper very loudly from the second row, oh my God, that guy was the speaker that we were talking to. <laughs> and I had to share it for the people way in the back. I said, okay, y'all in the back didn't just hear this, but two people in the second row over here are laughing because they didn't know I was the speaker and they shared some funny stuff with me. All good. Yeah. So, the first 90 seconds, if, if I can connect with them and get a good laugh and energy going and build up some trust, yeah. oh, we're off to the races. I'm going to have a ball. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Do you do you do any type of coaching or like mentoring um, like for people that may want to get into speaking or stand up or anything like that? I do a little bit, not necessarily for 
uh, you know, writing their material. What I actually do with some speakers is make their material funnier. Like if they if they're working on a story, I'll do that and I do some coaching for that. Okay. But uh, my biggest coaching that I do is helping people with visualization and vision boards and understanding the depth mm-hmm. of that, you know, vision boards. And I told someone yesterday, I said, yeah, vision boards. It ain't all about glitter and glue sticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah. a deeper dive. You know, I go yeah. far beyond the arts and crafts thing, but I love to encourage people who want to get into speaking and I don't necessarily have a coaching program for them. But I'm always happy to mentor in a little pep talk and give them some advice and some pointers of what to be thinking of to get started. Always happy to do that because I had people who did that for me. Okay. That sounds great. So one last question. If people want to work with you or like catch some of your material or some of your shows, is there a place online or what do you have going on these days? Uh, You can catch some of my video samples, the speaking samples at Steve Gamlin dot com g-a-m-l-i-n so there's some videos there you can find me on youtube as well if you go to steve video there's a lot of videos there there's no more stand-up comedy videos though i took them all down <laughs> <laughs> one of them had 37 and a half thousand views and i had yeah. my finger over the button for a while going you really should take this down but yeah. and finally i hit delete so it's, was it's it, all just the speaking stuff these days, but there's some humorous speaking stories up there also. Yeah. Were you kind of hesitant um, as far as keeping them up because of what the, the question that you were asked and taking that into perspective? Yeah, that's that's the reason they all came down. I mean, they were funny. I had, you know, between my 12 or 13 videos, I had about 75,000 views on YouTube. Yeah. But it was just, it was time to to take them down and to not leave any gray area or confusion about who this guy steve is you know we see so many people they're on this road in life and all of a sudden somebody goes well 20 years ago they said this and there's some video that at the time may not have been offensive or may at the time just was a younger more immature version of them Mm -hmm. but i i just wanted to get rid of it all i mean i i own the videos i they're in my recording studio computer if i want to watch them i can but yeah they're not out there for public consumption anymore okay and then i i know i said the last question was the last question but i got one more this is way too good (laughs) that's okay far away i I love this by the way thank you so much for having me (laughs) no problem i I really appreciate you coming on here um so let's say someone is having a hard time like if they they are like feeling like they want to get into something or start a business or start you know something or you know they feel like God is telling them to get started at something, but they're having such a hard time doing that and letting go of the old comfortable. What would you say to that person? Biggest thing, and this is something that helped me out a great deal, start to identify, find some people out there who are doing now and enjoying something that you may be interested in doing. And if you can follow them on social media, do that. If you can listen to them on podcasts, if they have one of their own or their guests, do that. Watch their videos. If they've written books, read their books. What I suggest is to start immersing yourself in what it feels like to be like that person. See, a lot of times we just have our fear. Well, what if I fail at it? Well, this person's doing it. That person's doing it. This person's doing it. Maybe there's someone in your hometown is doing it and you could actually reach out and have a conversation with them. Go to their website, learn a little bit more about them, find their backstory. They, have, they may have been in much worse shape than you are right now. 
and they still did it. See, we, we sometimes see these people who are successful and we think they're so out of reach or out of grasp or out of touch with reality. In, in I forget exactly what interview I heard this in or who said it. The more successful people are generally, the more willing they are to help out other people who are just getting started out or who are on their way. And, and I found that to be true as well. I've got friends who make six, seven, eight, even I know people who make eight, nine figures a year. And if I was to reach out, I could get some sort of contact or at least some advice or a suggestion or even a little mentoring moment from these people because they know I'm authentically, vulnerably reaching out because I'm actually looking for an answer and I will take action on it. So that's, that's an important thing. Just find out, find somebody who's already doing it and just observe them. Watch what they say. Watch what they don't say on social media. Yeah. <laughs> be real that's, careful. Yeah. That's a really good one. Thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. Thank you. No problem. Well, thank you all for joining us once again on Let the Healing Begin podcast. A um, couple ways to support us here. Um, you can head over to www.greatergrowthllc.com, support the t-shirt and hoodie business. Um, you can also head over to Amazon and purchase a copy of Back in My Day by Asia Wilson and support us there as well. Thank you so much. And until next time.